All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow Triple Seven Radio, episode 132. This is going to be an interesting episode, but the first hour is going to separate the people from who want to know a few things from the people who are just here for ear candy. We are going to outline the myths of Mercury, and the reason for that is in the second hour, we're going to show you all over the world where these things have been used to lead people's minds astray from moon missions to... 9-11s to you name it, all over the place. So the question becomes, can you get through hour one to understand hour two? Let's find out, man. Let's jump in with Jason Lindgren and cover Mercury. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is hour one of episode 132. Jason Lindgren is with me, and we're going to be covering some pretty critical material here. Here in the common age, uh, so many people have near zero exposure to the old myths from Rome and Greece. And that used to be standard fare in school. As a matter of fact, back in the 1800s, it was important for the well-educated to be able to read these myths in the original language. And there is a reason for these things. In hour one, we're going to cover basically basically the mythology of the so-called god Mercury, who's not a god at all. He's simply an aspect of nature. And the reason for this is it sets the backstory for so much of what goes, in, uh, goes on in the common era. And uh, we will get way in depth into that in hour two. Welcome, Jason. Good morning and happy Halloween. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I keep forgetting. Yeah, it is Halloween. Um, I actually caught Jungle Surfer just did a pretty good little clip on Halloween and what it's become. But uh, what do we have for our... Oh, I I know what we have for our one. Uh, I did a show with Sun and Moon Family United about, I don't know, less than a week ago. They asked me on from time to time. I show up when I have time. Can you think of anything else? We've got something interesting to intro our two with, but we're going to leave it at that. It's got to do with the whole Google connection system. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we were going to put it in, in hour one, but maybe it's hour two fair. But not only that, we have so much to get through in hour one to set the stage for so much of what goes on in the modern era. So anyhow, maybe we should just jump straight into it, Jason. All right. So Hermes is the god's name for the Greeks, and Mercury is for the Romans. He is the god of trade, heraldry, merchants, commerce, roads, sports, travelers, and athletes in ancient Greek religion and mythology. He is the son of Zeus and the Pleiad Maya. He was the second youngest of the Olympian gods, with Dionysus being the youngest. Zeus, or Jupiter, is the king of the gods and is the son of Kronos, or Saturn. Maya is the daughter of Atlas and Pleione the Oceanid and is the oldest of the seven Pleiades. Maya may also be an earlier form for Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. Hermes has multiple siblings, including such colorful characters as Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Dionysus, Helen of Troy, Heracles, Minos, the Muses, and Perseus, amongst others. So there's a lot here. Uh, As we go through, we'll point out the important parts. And you may ask, why are we doing this? The reason we're doing this is because if you don't understand the basic mythology, you have no hope to decode what's going on in the modern era. All these myths carry so much important information about the natural world, about the sky clock, and about basically how our world operates. And people may be skeptical, but it is a true thing. And I will point out, you were just told that Mercury is brother to Apollo. That will become critical in hour two. And don't forget just how much is taken from ancient Rome for the United States. All roads lead to Rome, uh, all of them. And that is not just a cliche. That is a, a true thing. Go ahead. Hermes was the emissary and messenger of the gods. Hermes was also the divine trickster and the god of boundaries and the transgression of boundaries, the patron of herdsmen, thieves, graves, and heralds. He is described as moving freely between the worlds of the mortal and divine, and was the conductor of souls into the afterlife. He was also viewed as the protector and patron of roads and travelers. In some myths, he is a trickster and outwits other gods for his own satisfaction or for the sake of humankind. His attributes and symbols include the herma, the rooster, the tortoise, satchel or pouch, winged sandals, and winged cap. His main symbol is the Greek 
caracioin, or Latin caduceus, which appears in a form of two snakes wrapped around a winged staff with carvings of the other gods. In the Roman adaptation of the Greek pantheon, Hermes is identified with the Roman god Mercury, who, though inherited from the Etruscans, developed many similar characteristics, such as being the patron of commerce. So, Anyone who really wants to understand things should go back and listen to this bullet point again, but I'll just point out that he's a messenger, he's a trickster, that will become important in an hour or two, and he has to do with travel and roads. And we will cover later that right in the symbol for Mercury is the crossroads idea. Um, and by the way, while we're at it here, I'll give a shout out to a channel on YouTube called Hoaxbuster, who is going to provide... Uh, the majority of what we cover in hour two because he has done such a higher-minded, diligent job of decoding the use of these myths in the modern era. I uh, hope I didn't drop anything. Go ahead, Jason. Double plus good, hoaxbuster. There it is. The Greek word herma, H-E-R-M-A, means cairn, pile of stones, and boundary marker. In relation to Hermes being the god of the crossroads, a herma is a sculpture with a head, perhaps a torso, Above a plain, usually squared lower section on which male genitals may also be carved at the appropriate height. This originated in ancient Greece and was adopted by the Romans and revived at the Renaissance in the form of term figures and Atlantes. In the earliest times, Greek divinities were worshipped in the form of a heap of stones or a shapeless column of stone or wood. In many parts of Greece, there were piles of stones by the sides of the roads, especially at their crossings and on the boundaries of lands. The religious respect paid to such heaps of stones, especially at the meeting of roads, is shown by the custom of each passerby throwing a stone onto the heap or anointing it with oil. Later, there was the addition of a head and phallus to the column, which became quadrangular, as the number four was sacred to Hermes. All right. There's so much here. You can see the pre-action going into place here. You know, at some point, milestones in Rome are going to become a thing, but you can see where this starts. And it is all basically, you know, we've all been taught that we're talking about Greek gods here. We're not talking about Greek gods here. We're talking about aspects of nature here. That's what it is. And uh, we'll demonstrate that in spades an hour two. Go ahead, Jason. Definition of hermetic which of course is derived from the name Hermes, of or relating to the mystical and alchemical writings or teachings arising in the first three centuries AD and attributed to Hermes Trismegistus. Second, relating to or characterized by subjects that are mysterious and difficult to understand, relating to or characterized by occultism or abstruseness, from the belief that Hermes Trismegistus invented a magic seal to keep vessels airtight, it would be an airtight hermetic seal, impervious to external influence trapped inside the hermetic military machine, or recluse, solitary, or leads a hermetic life. So, so many uses in this world. To this day, you can go to a hospital and find things that are hermetically sealed. This is the root of those ideas. And then, of course, we are all familiar with the guy meditating on the mountaintop who might be called a hermit. Um, those words all come from this. And here is the first introduction of Hermes Trismegistus, which roughly translated would be something like Hermes three times great or three times majestic, who is attributed with introducing basically that every that everything that ever mattered from I mean writing to any kind of art you might point to so much of it uh, attributed to this person and while I probably don't accept that there was actually a living human being called Hermes Trismegistus this serves as the starting point I guess in civilization for those ideas the caduceus is the traditional symbol of Hermes and features two snakes winding around an often winged staff. It is often mistakenly used as a symbol of medicine instead of the rod of Asclepius, especially in the United States. The two-snake caduceus design has ancient and consistent associations with trade, eloquence, negotiation, alchemy, wisdom, and controversially, thievery, lying, and the passage into the underworld. The modern use of the caduceus as a symbol of medicine became established in the United States in the late 19th and early 20th century as a result of documented mistakes, misunderstandings, and confusion. 
And some poppycock there. Don't even try. Don't even try to tell me that people didn't understand what this stuff meant. Um, the noblest, or if we should even use that word, of families in this world have never lost sight of all this supposed ancient information. So the idea that someone didn't know the difference between the caduceus of mercury and the actual medicinal or medically related rod of Asclepius is ridiculous. So basically what it comes down to, in my view, is the caduceus is almost everywhere you see medicine in the Western world. And it has nothing to do with medicine. It's got trickster in it. It's got um, commerce, all these things, and even the underworld, as a matter of fact. And so you can see you know, if we if we went back to older episodes, we could probably end up attributing to this, like, to one of the typical families we speak about, like Rockefeller. Who knows, Jason? But my main point here is the caduceus has zip to do with actual medicine. The rod of Asclepius has everything to do with medicine, and I don't accept for a second that someone just got confused here. Let's get a few more Mercuries out of the way. The element Mercury. The modern element symbol for Mercury is HG, which is the symbol for another name for Mercury, Hydrargyrum. Hydrargyrum comes from the Greek words for water silver. H-Y-D-R means water. A-R-G-Y-R-O-S means silver. It has an atomic weight of 80. Mercury was known to ancient Chinese and Hindus before 2000 BC and was found in tubes in ancient Egyptian tombs dated from 1500 BC. It was used to form amalgams of other metals around 500 BC. The Greeks used mercury in ointments and the Romans used it, unfortunately for those using it, in cosmetics. Okay, um... I have so many problems with these modern timelines, the dates being the least of that, which are certainly history being lied about. Hard to know what the true dates might be. Point is, is as long as things like metallurgy and medicine have been going on, Quicksilver, or this version of Mercury, is what's being used or referenced, and Mercury gets to be a very confusing thing. After all, you're told it's a planet, which is actually a luminary. You're told it's an element. You're told that it's Quicksilver. You're told that it's a god. All these things, but at the base of it, the meaning of Mercury is what the meaning of Mercury is, and that was defined in the first few bullet points from my point of view. The planet Mercury played an important role in the religious life of many ancient civilizations. Although Mercury was probably seen by prehistoric man, the first recorded observation was by Timocharis in 265 BC. The early Greeks believed that the east and west elongations of Mercury represented two separate objects, which they called Hermes, the evening star, and Apollo, the morning star. When later Greeks recognized that Mercury was one object, they designated it Hermes, the messenger of the gods and god of twilight and dawn who announced the rising of Zeus. The ancient Egyptians, however, first discovered that Mercury, called Sabku by them, orbited the sun. To the Teutonic peoples, Mercury was known as Woden, and our anglicized version of the midweek day Wednesday is derived from the original Woden's Day. The present name Mercury is derived directly from the Latin name Mercurius, which is the Roman designation for the Greek name Hermes. The Italian astronomer Zupus first observed the phases of Mercury in 1639. They were later observed independently by Hevelius in 1644. The transit of the Sun by Mercury, first predicted by Kepler in 1630, was observed by Gassendi, and the first recorded observations of surface markings were by Schroeter and Harding in 1800. The orbital period for the planet Mercury is approximately 88 days. All right, I'm not going to take the time to rip apart how much of the accepted narrative I have a problem with in terms of dates and people and other things, but let's just point out here that you will find the number 8, the number 88, or divisions of the number 8, like 4, constantly um, associated with Mercury. And as Jason pointed out earlier, even in the caduceus rod, that caduceus staff, uh, the double 8 is symbolized as the snake's wrap. There are two, you know, the shape of 8 is made twice there by the wrapping of the snakes. So that's a thing to keep in mind for hour 2. Some background on the god... Born in a cave of Mount Silene in Arcadia, he was the son of Jupiter and Maya, the daughter of Atlas. According to conjecture, his name Hermes means the hastener. Mercury, swift as the wind, was the servant and herald of Jupiter and the other gods. 
on his ankles in plastic art and his low-crowned, broad-brimmed patusis, or hat, were wings. As messenger of heaven, he bore a wand called a caduceus of wood or of gold, twined with snakes and surmounted by wings and possessed of magical powers over sleeping, waking, and dreams. He was beautiful and ever in the prime of youthful vigor. To a voice sweet-toned and powerful, he added the persuasiveness of eloquence. But his skill was not confined to speech. He was also the first of inventors. To him are ascribed the lyre and the flute. He was the forerunner, too, of mathematicians and astronomers. His agility and strength made him easily prince in athletic pursuits. His cunning rendered him a dangerous foe. He could well play the trickster and the thief, as Apollo found out to his vexation, and Argus and many other unfortunate. His methods, however, were not always questionable. Although the patron of gamblers and the god of chance, he at the same time was the furtherer of lawful industry and of commerce by land and sea. The gravest function of the messenger was to conduct the souls of the dead that gibber like bats as they fare, down the dank ways, past the streams of Oceanus, past the gates of the sun and the land of dreams, to the mead of Asphodel in the dark realm of Hades, where dwell the souls, the phantoms of men outworn. Man, is there anything that Mercury didn't do here? Uh, I will state this. One, some of the oldest astronomical writings you can supposedly get your hands on is Manilius, uh, which I have read and I'm actually reading parts of again. Um, when it comes to Mercury and Manilius, you will often see him referred to as the Silene. So it goes to show that if you don't, if you're not well-rounded in understanding these old myths, trying to read any of the old texts becomes a puzzle because you won't understand what the silene is and things like this. But to cut it short here, it's going to be critically important that this is all about mind. Mercury has everything to do with mind, uh, which is why Buddhism is so so closely associated with the luminary Mercury and speech. The Homeric hymns are a group of poems, each to a specific god, that are written in the style of the Iliad and the Odyssey. It is thought that these were written down around 520 BC, although the material it contains is said to be of great antiquity. There are multiple translations that I have seen, and this next group is just one of those translations. And every poem I could find we're about to recite for you. <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's be quick then. Again, I don't accept the timelines here. History is a lie agreed upon, but everybody, everybody should read the Iliad and the Odyssey. These are important things to understand. Go ahead. The first one, Hermes is born. Muse, sing in honor of Hermes, the son of Zeus and Maia, lord of Kylene, lord of Arcadia with all its sheep, bringer of luck, messenger of the gods. His mother was Maya with the wonderful hair, a shy and shamefaced nymph who stayed in her shady cave, avoiding the company of the blessed gods. In the darkest night, when sweet sleep held white-armed Hera fast, Zeus, the son of Kronos, used to lie with the nymph with the fabulous hair. No one knew about it, neither the gods, who do not die, nor human beings, who do. Now, when he had finished what he had in mind, and when ten moons had risen in the sky, Zeus led his notorious child into the light. Maya gave birth to a wily boy, flattering and cunning, a robber and cattle thief, a bringer of dreams, awake all night, waiting by the gates of the city. Hermes, who was soon to earn himself quite a reputation among the gods who do not die. As the sun rose on the fourth day of the month, Lady Maya bore him. By noon he played the lyre, and by evening he had stolen the cattle of Apollo, who shoots from afar. Didn't take him long to get his reputation going. I will make a simple point about this. Um, people read these things and they say, what's the use? Why do you bother? In the very opening lines, it talks about Arcadia. If you go back through any of the Renaissance-type art, you will see Arcadia referenced over and over and over. And as a matter of fact, in the modern era, there are plenty of references around the idea of universities and schools. And uh, for my part, you're probably looking at where that all starts in these tales and myths. Hermes invents the lyre. Indeed, he didn't lie around in his sacred cradle. No, the minute he slipped from his mother's immortal arms, he leapt up and set out to find Apollo's herds. 
As he crossed the threshold of that roomy cave, he happened on a turtle and got himself an endless source of wealth. For you should know that it was Hermes who first made the turtle into something that could sing. Their paths crossed at the courtyard gate, where the turtle was waddling by, chewing the thick grass in front of the dwelling. Hermes, the bringer of luck, took a close look, laughed, and said, "'Here's a bit of luck I can't ignore. Hello there, you shapely thing, dancing girl, life of the party. Lovely to see you. How'd a mountain girl with a shiny shell get so playful? Let me carry you inside. What a blessing. Do me a favor. Come on, I'll respect you. It's safer inside. You could get in trouble out there. A living turtle, they say, keeps troublesome witchcraft away. And yet, if you were to die, you'd sing most beautifully.' So saying, Hermes picked up the turtle with both hands and carried his lovely toy into the house. He turned her over and with a scoop of gray iron, scraped the marrow from her mountain shell. And just as a swift thought can fly through the heart of a person haunted with care, just as bright glances spin from the eyes, so in one instant Hermes knew what to do and did it. He cut stalks of reed to measure, fitted them through the shell, and fastened their ends across the back. Skillfully, he tightened a piece of cowhide, set the arms in place, fixed a yoke across them, and stretched seven sheep-gut strings to sound in harmony. When he, is, when he was finished, he took that lovely thing and tested each string in turn with a flat pick. It rang out wonderfully at the touch of his hand, and he sang along beautifully, improvising a few random snatches the way teenagers sing out insults at a fair. He sang the song of Zeus, the son of Kronos, and Maya with the wonderful shoes, how they used to chat in comradely love. He broadcast the story of his own famous conception, and he sang in praise of Maya's servant girls in stately rooms, of all the tripods and cauldrons she had to her name. Well, I guess it's no mystery why he invented the liar. He was a liar. He told that turtle that, that, that it would be safe, that she would be safe, and then killed it, scooped it out, and used it for the body of basically what we would consider a guitar in the modern age. But those are some of the main takeaways. Um, you know, he's the trickster all the time, but here he's being credited with being the first to begin this form of music, I guess, or some form of music. And to think they used to make picks and pick guards out of real tortoise shell. That's right. So you're 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 keying in on a, a key piece of things. You know, when you used to go to to get a guitar back in the day, um, they used to call, actually have picks that were sitting there called turtle shell. Um, so there is a direct relationship to what we're talking about all the way up into the modern era. Hermes steals Apollo's cattle. As he sang, however, his mind wandered to other matters. For Hermes longed to eat meat. So, taking the hollow lyre and tucking it in his sacred cradle, he sped from the sweet-smelling halls to a lookout point, a tricky scheme brewing in his heart, the kind that mischievous folk cook up in the middle of the night. The chariot and horses of Helios were going down below the earth toward ocean when Hermes came running to the shadowed mountains of Pieria. There the divine cattle of the blessed gods have their stable and graze in lovely unmown meadows. There and then, Maya's son, the keen-eyed slayer of Argus, cut fifty loudly lowing cattle from the herd and drove them zigzag across the sandy place. He thought to drive them backward, too, another crafty trick, mixing up their footprints, the front behind and the hind before, while he himself walked straight ahead. And right away on that sandy beach, he wove himself fabulous sandals, such as no one ever thought or heard of. Tying together the newly sprouted myrtle twigs and tamarisk, he bound them, leaves and all, securely to his feet, a pair of shoes for those who travel light. The glorious slayer of Argus had picked those shrubs in Pieria when getting ready for this trip, inventing on the spot, as one will do when packing in a hurry. But as he was hurrying through the grassy fields of Onchestus, he was seen by an old man setting up his flowering vineyard. The notorious son of Maya spoke first. Hey, old man stooping over the hoe, you are sure to have barrels of wine when all those vines bear fruit. If, that is, you listen to me and bear in mind that you haven't seen what you've seen and you haven't heard what you've heard. And in general, keep your mouth shut as long as nobody's bothering you personally. Having said all this, Hermes gathered the excellent herd of cattle and drove them through many shadowy mountains and echoing gorges and fields and flower. And now Divine Night, his dark helper, was almost over, and the dawn which forces mortals to work was quickly coming on. 
Bright Selene, daughter of Pallas, Lord Megamedes' son, had just climbed to her watchpost when the sturdy child of Zeus drove Apollo's wide-browed cattle to the river Alpheus. They arrived unwearied at a high-roofed barn and watering troughs standing before a remarkable meadow. So a lot of people get lost along the way trying to plow through uh, these old information-packed tales, basically these myths. But here, here you see the god of commerce, or the so-called god of commerce. First thing he's about is stealing and lying and being a trickster and a thief. Um, go ahead, Jason. A Sacrifice to the Gods then, having foddered the bellowing herd and packed them into the stable, chewing fresh lotus and sweet ginger, he gathered a pile of wood and set himself to seek the art of fire, for Hermes, you should know, is responsible for fire sticks and fire. He took a stout laurel branch, trimmed it with a knife, and spun it on a block of wood held firmly in his hand until the hot smoke crept up. Then he piled thick bunches of dry sticks in a sunken trench. The flames caught and spread fiercely. While the power of glorious Hephaestus kindled the fire, Hermes, full of his own power, dragged two lowing longhorns out of the stable and up to the flames. He threw them panting on their backs, rolled them over, bent their heads aside, and pierced their spinal cords. Then Hermes set about this chores in turn. First he cut up the richly marbled flesh and skewered it on wooden spits. He roasted all of it, the muscle and the prized sirloin and the dark-blooded belly, and laid the spits out on the ground. The skins he stretched over a rippling rock. Still today, ages later, those hides are there, and they will be for ages to come. Next, he gladly drew the dripping chunks of meat from the spits, spread them on a stone, and divided them into twelve portions distributed by lot, making each one exactly right and glorious Hermes longed to eat that sacrificial meat. The sweet smell weakened him, God though he was, and yet much as his mouth watered, his proud heart would not let him eat. Later he took the fat and all the flesh and stored them in that ample barn, setting them high up as a token of his youthful theft. That done, he gathered dry sticks and let the fire devour, absolutely the hooves of the cattle and their heads. And when the God had finished... He threw his sandals into the deep, pooling Alpheus. He quenched the embers and spread sand over the black ashes. And so the night went by under the bright light of the moon. So, so much we could say about this. Whenever you see the number 12 where he's dividing up, clearly you're referencing the current calendar that we use, which is based on 12 months. So, of course, we're seeing some form of sacrifices being referenced here. That's something that many early civilizations did and really kept that up for, I don't know, hundreds of years? Well, it's weird, too, because in the beginning of this, they're they're crediting him with, you know, he invented the sticks for fire, so basically the first person, I guess, is part of this, bringing fire down here. But there's also a reference to Hephaestus, who was like the blacksmith for the gods, who already had fire, but there's other myths that talk about how fire was supposedly given to man, and that relates directly um, to what we would currently call Lucifer. Um, because Well, we've done past shows on this. Go ahead, Jason. Well, I also wonder how much that crisscrosses with Prometheus, who also gave fire to man. That's what I was referencing. The tale of Lucifer and the tale of Prometheus is the same tale, just told in a slightly different way, for my part. Hermes comes home at dawn. As soon as the sun rose, the god set out for home, the bright peaks of Kylene. No blessed god, no mortal man saw him on that long journey, and no dogs barked as he sped by. And at his mother's home, Hermes, bringer of luck, son of Zeus, slipped sideways through the keyhole like fog on an autumn breeze. Making none of the noise you might expect, he walked straight to the sumptuous heart of the cave. Then glorious Hermes leapt to his cradle, wrapped his baby clothes around his shoulders as if he were a feeble infant, and lay there, picking at the blanket around his knees and clutching his lovely lyre safe at his left hand. But the god didn't get past the goddess, his mother. Hello there, you double sneak, she said to him. Where exactly have you been at this hour, you who wrap yourself in shamelessness? I believe I'd rather see Apollo carry you out of here, bound hand and foot in unbreakable ropes, than have you grow up to pester the woods with your sneaking thievery. But go ahead, who am I? Your father meant you to be a great bother, both to the gods who do not die and to human beings who do. 
Hermes answered her, his eye on the bottom line. Mother, why are you trying to frighten me? A feeble babe who's never heard such big words. A timid child shaking at his mother's wrath. But seriously, I'm ready to do whatever I must so that you and I will never go hungry. You're wrong to insist we live in a place like this. Why should we be the only gods who never eat the fruits of sacrifice and prayer? Better always to live in the company of other deathless ones rich, glamorous, enjoying heaps of grain than forever to sit by ourselves in a gloomy cavern. And as for honor, my plan is to have a share of Apollo's power. If my father won't give it to me, I intend to be, and I mean it, the Prince of Thieves. If Leto's glorious boy comes after me, he'll soon be in more trouble than he is now. I'll go to Pytho, break into his big house, and steal all his wonderful tripods, his cauldrons, and his gold, all his gleaming iron and his fancy clothes. See if I don't. And so they argued back and forth, the son of Zeus, who holds the shield, and Lady Maya. So there it is, the real kind of underlying Mercury shining through finally in these long tales that we have to endure so that we can understand what goes on in the modern age. Um, he's kind of a pain in the butt, isn't he, Jason? And part, <laughs> part of this, you know, he wants to share in Apollo's power, you know, is stated. So he's already shown that he's kind of a self-centered, wicked trickster, thief, any number of things you might want to call him, but let's let's give a sneak preview into the hour two. Um, what was the name of the first program where we started to head for the moon, Jason? The Gemini program you're referencing. Right. Who's the supposed ruler over Gemini? That would be Mercury. So the second after the Gemini, well, first was the Mercury program, then was the Gemini program, then was the Apollo program. Uh, anyone who's a thinking person can begin to link those things together based on the myths that we've been outlining here. But we will ad nauseum show the relationship as part of what we show about Mercury in hour two. Apollo searches for the thief. Now morning, the daughter of dawn was rising from deep ocean's currents, bringing light to men, when Apollo passed through Onchestus, the lovely grove, sacred to the god who makes the earth quake. There he found an old man grazing his beast along the path by the garden fence. Leto's glorious son spoke first, saying, Old man, you who've spent your life weeding thistles from grassy Onchestus, I have come here from Pieria, looking for cattle from my herd cows all of them with curving horns. The slate black bull was by himself, grazing away from the others. Four of my sharp-eyed hounds, as smart as men, chased after the cows, but all were left behind the bull and the dogs, which is quite uncanny. The cows left the soft, sweet pasture just as the sun was setting. Now tell me, old man born so long ago, have you seen anyone go by driving these cows? Then the old man answered him, saying, well, Sonny, your eyes see so many things, it's hard to know where to begin. So many people go down this road, some good, some bad. No telling who's who. However, I was up in my little vineyard, working my hoe yesterday, from dawn to dusk. And as the sun was going down, I had the impression, dear sir, though it's hard to say for sure, that I saw a child, I couldn't really identify him, following a herd of long-horned cows." a baby with a staff who zigzagged side to side and made the cows walk backward, their heads toward him. As soon as he heard what the old man said, Apollo hurried on his way. Before long, he noticed a wide-winged bird and knew immediately that the thief was a child of Zeus, the son of Kronos. So the lord Apollo, himself a son of Zeus, covering his broad shoulders with a dark cloud, hurried on to holy Pylos looking for his footloose cattle. And when the great archer made out their footprints, he cried out, Well, well, this is remarkable, what I'm seeing. Clearly, these are longhorn cattle tracks, but they all point backward toward the fields of daffodils. And these others, they are not the tracks of a man or a woman, nor of a gray wolf or a bear or lion. And I don't think the shaggy-maned centaur leaves such prints. What swift feet took these long strides? The tracks on this side of the path are weird, but those on the other side... Are weirder still. So I think we get to the point where we separate the people who want to know things from the people who just don't want to tolerate all this. Um, there's a lot of information packed in here. We don't have much time in hour one. Let's keep pushing. The confrontation. 
So saying, Lord Apollo, the son of Zeus, hurried on until he came to the forested mountain of Kylene and the deeply shaded cave in the rocks where the divine nymph gave birth to Zeus' child. A sweet smell lay over the lovely slopes, and many spindle-legged sheep grazed in the grass. Over the stone threshold and into the dark cavern stepped bright Apollo himself. Now, when the son of Zeus and Maia saw the archer Apollo in such a rage about his cattle, he wiggled down into the sweet-smelling blankets. Just as dark ashes hide the embers of burnt tree stumps, so Hermes slid snuggling under the covers when he saw the great archer. He bunched his head and hands and feet together like a newborn child overcome by sweet sleep, though in fact he was wide awake, his lyre tucked under his armpit. The son of Leto saw all this. Immediately he spied the beautiful mountain nymph and her dear son, a tiny child wrapped in crafty subterfuge. He looked into every corner of their great home. With a shiny key, he opened three inner sanctuaries full of nectar and sweet ambrosia. The closets were filled with gold and the nymph's silvery clothes, as is the fashion in homes of the blessed gods. Then, having searched every corner of the dwelling, Leto's son addressed himself to glorious Hermes. Little boy lying in the cradle, you had better tell me quickly what happened to my cattle, or you and I will soon be in an unseemly fight. I have a mind to take and throw you into the awful, hopeless dark of gloomy Tartarus. Neither your mother nor your father will be able to free you and bring you back to earth. You will walk out your days beneath the ground, a leader of dead babies. Hermes answered him with his eye on the bottom line. Son of Leto, why are you yelling like a bully? You've come here looking for cows from your pasture? I haven't seen them. I haven't heard a word about them. No one's told me a thing. I can't give you any information, nor could I claim the reward for information. Do I look like a cattle driver? A big, strong guy? That is not my kind of work. I am interested in other things. I care for sleep, above all, and the milk of my mother's breasts, and a blanket over my shoulders, and warm baths. I'd advise you not to talk like this in public. The deathless gods would think it odd indeed, a day-old child bringing field animals into the courtyard. You're talking wildly. I was born yesterday. My feet are tender and the ground is rough beneath them. Still, if you insist, I am willing to swear a great oath by my father's head and vow that I didn't steal your cows and that I haven't seen anyone else steal your cows, whatever cows may be. For, to tell you the truth, I only know of them by hearsay. Hermes' eyes twinkled as he spoke, and he kept arching his brows, looking side to side and making long whistling noises as he listened to his own lying words. Far-working Apollo laughed softly then and said to Hermes, "'My dear boy, what a tricky-hearted cheat you are. The way you talk, I'm quite convinced you broke into many fine homes last night, quietly swiping all the goods, leaving many a poor soul without a chair to sit on.' You're going to be a great nuisance to lonely herdsmen in the mountain woods when you get to hankering after meat and come upon their cows or fleecy sheep. For the rest of time, the gods, who do not die, will surely award you the title of Prince of Thebes. But come on, O friend of the Black Knight, unless you want your latest nap turned into endless sleep, get out of that cradle. So saying, Phoebus Apollo picked the child up and began to carry him. At this point, the powerful killer of Argus had a plan. Held aloft in Apollo's hands, he cut loose an omen, an exhausted belly slave, a rude herald of worse to come. At the same time, he sneezed, and Apollo, hearing all this, dropped him on the ground. Eager now to be on his way, still he sat besides, beside Hermes, mocking, Never fear, little baby, son of Zeus and Maia. I'm sure these omens of yours will eventually lead me to my cattle. Why don't you lead the way? Hermes of Kylene leapt up, his blanket around his shoulders and his hands covering his ears. Where are you taking me, far worker, most impatient of the gods, he said. Are you so angrily provoking me all because of your cattle? Oh dear, I wish all the cattle in the world would drop dead. I didn't steal your cows, and I didn't see anybody else steal them either, whatever cows may be, for I've only heard reports. No, do the right thing. Take this to Zeus, the son of Kronos. And so, with their hearts at odds, Hermes the shepherd and Leto's glorious son argued the quarrel, point by point. Apollo, sticking to the facts, tried to snare glorious Hermes, who really was a cattle thief, while Hermes of Kylene tried to lead the god of the silver bow astray with rhetoric and wheedling arguments. 
All right, I got to congratulate you, Jason. That was one heck of a read, but let's point out the obvious. Why are we doing all this? As we pointed out earlier, the first part of the moon mission was named after this guy, Mercury. Go figure. Um, what's that all about? We'll talk about it in an hour two, but you're starting to realize um, the ideas behind these words that get thrown around so ca casually. Um, and it's important to know these things. Not easy to understand them because you have to dig through all this kind of stuff. But once you do, guess what? You've got insight. Hermes sounds an awful lot like the character of Lucifer, doesn't he? Yeah, in some ways. Um, you know, you can even start to attribute modern things we see. I mean, we've seen movies called Prince of Thieves. Well, now you're seeing the origin of these ideas. Um, it goes on and on, Jason. And so many people uh, went through school and got next to no inkling of what any of this is about. And that's not the way it used to be. In the 1800s, everybody and their brother was taught these things, and in many different languages, I might add. I know people in their 70s who read this stuff in Greek when they were young. The argument before Zeus. But when he found Apollo able to match his every ruse, Hermes began to walk quickly across the sand, leading the son of Zeus in Leto. Soon these fine children of Zeus came to the peaks of fragrant Olympus, to their father, the son of Kronos. There, for both of them, the scales of justice were set. And there on snowy Olympus, after dawn had settled on her golden throne, the gods who do not die had gathered to talk. Then Hermes and Apollo of the silver bow stood before Zeus' knees, and Zeus, who thunders in the heavens, spoke to his glorious son, asking, Sunshine, where have you been to capture this fabulous prize, a newborn babe with a herald's face? This is some serious business you bring before the council of the gods. The far-working lord replied, Father, you can tease about my love of spoils, but this is not a silly story I have to tell. Here is a child, an accomplished thief, whom I found after a long search through the hills of Kylene. As far as I'm concerned, for catching folks on earth off guard, I've never seen anyone, god or mortal, as brash as he. He stole my cows from their meadow and drove them off in the evening along the shore of the loud roaring sea, headed straight for Pylos. The tracks were double, quite remarkable, the puzzling work of a clever spirit. Preserved in the dark dust, the cow's prince led back to the fields of daffodils, while this weird creature crossed the sandy ground, not on his feet and not on his hands, but as if, can you believe it, he were walking on little oak trees. When he drove the cattle across sandy ground, the tracks stood out quite clearly, but when he left the wide stretch of sand and hit hard ground, all tracks disappeared, both his and the cattle's. Still, a mortal man saw him driving the wide-browed beasts straight to Pylos. Quietly, he hid them away, then sneaked home by some devious route to lie as still as the blackest night in a cradle in the dark of a darkened cave. Not even a sharp-eyed eagle could have seen him there. Constantly rubbing his eyes with his fists, he fabricated falsehoods and spoke up boldly, saying, I haven't seen them. I haven't heard of them. No one has told me about them. I can't tell you about them, nor can I win the reward for telling. When bright Apollo finished speaking and sat down, Hermes turned to Zeus, son of Kronos, lord of all the gods, and answered, saying, Zeus, my father, of course I will tell you the truth, for I am an honest boy. I cannot tell a lie. Apollo came to our house today at dawn, looking for his ambling cattle. He brought no witness with him. Not one of the blessed gods had seen this theft. Instead, he tried to torture a confession from me. He kept threatening to throw me deep into Tartarus. He is in the powerful bloom of youth, while I, as he is well aware, was just born yesterday. I'm no cattle thief, no big strong guy. You tell people you are my dear father, so please believe me. I've not had the pleasure of driving cattle to my home. I haven't even left the house. I'm telling the truth. I greatly revere Helos and the other divinities. You I love. Apollo fills me with awe. You yourself know I'm not guilty. I will even swear this great oath. Verily, by the gods richly decorated colonnades, I am innocent. Someday I'll get back at this bully, strong as he is, for his pitiless inquisition. But for now, please help your youngest son." As he spoke, Hermes of Kylene, the slayer of Argus, winked and clutched his baby blanket tightly in his arms. Zeus laughed aloud at the sight of his scheming child so smoothly denying his guilt about the cattle, and he ordered them both to come to an agreement and go find the cattle. 
he told Hermes the guide to lead the way and, dismissing the mischief in his heart, to show Apollo where the cattle was hi were hidden. Then the son of Cronos nodded his head, and good Hermes obeyed, for the will of Zeus, who holds the shield, persuades without effort. So there is one heck of an outline of who Mercury is, what he's about, and let's all bear in mind, this is the supposed god of commerce, uh, among other things. Hermes and Apollo exchange gifts. Then Zeus, too, finds sons hurried to Sandy Pylos. At the ford of Alpheus, they came to the fields and the roomy barn that sheltered the cattle at night. And as Hermes drove the sturdy cows out of their stony enclosure and into the light, Leto's son, glancing aside, noticed the cowhides spread on the rocks. Right away he questioned glorious Hermes. And how were you able to flay two cows, you crafty rogue, you little newborn baby? Looking back on it, your powers amaze me. You don't need to spend much time growing up, Kylenian boy, son of Maya. As he spoke, Apollo twisted together strong willow bands, intending to tie Hermes up. But the bands could not hold the boy. They fell away at a distance, and from the ground where they landed at once began to sprout, intertwining as they rose and quickly covering the roving cattle, as Hermes the thief intended. Apollo, watching, was astounded. Fire flashing in his eyes, the strong killer of Argus looked furtively around, hoping to elude Leto's glorious son. Subtly then, he began to soften that stern, far-shooting archer. Cradling the lyre in his left arm, he struck each string in turn with the pick, and the instrument rang out awesomely. Bright Apollo laughed for joy as the th sweet throb of that marvelous instrument stole into his heart, and a gentle longing seized his listening soul. Playing sweetly upon the lyre, the son of Maya plucked up his courage and stood at the left hand of bright Apollo. And, letting the lyre introduce him, he raised his voice and sang, and his voice was lovely. He sang the story of the gods who do not die and of the dark earth, and how each came to be at the beginning of time, and how each came to have what now is theirs. Nemosine, the mother of the muses, was the first among the gods he honored in his song, for the son of Maya was one of her followers. Then this good son of Zeus praised the other immortals, each in order of age. He told how each was born, naming them one by one in order as he struck his cradled lyre. And Apollo was seized with a longing he could do nothing about. He opened his mouth, and the words flew out. Butcher of cattle, trickster, Busy boy, friend of merrymakers, the things you're interested in are worth fifty cows. Soon, I believe, we shall settle our quarrel in peace. But come now, tell me, wily son of Maya, was this marvelous thing with you at birth, or did some god or mortal man give you that noble gift and teach you such heavenly song? For this is a new sound, a wonder to my ears. I swear, neither men nor Olympian gods have ever heard anything like it except for you, O thieving son of Zeus and Maya. What skill you have! What a cure for hopeless care! What style! Honestly, three things seem mixed together in this music, humor and eros and sweet sleep. I am a follower of the Olympian muses, those who love the dance and the bright sound of poetry, full-voiced song and the lovely call of the pipes, and yet nothing has ever struck my spirit like this, not even the flashiest songs of young men at festivals. In short, I'm amazed, son of Zeus, at how well you play the lyre. But now, since you have such remarkable talent, sit down, little boy, and show some respect for the wisdom of the old. Know that you shall now be famous among the immortal gods, you and your mother both. These words are true. By my dogwood staff, I swear I shall make you the renowned guide of the deathless gods. Luck will follow you. I will never deceive you. I will give you wonderful gifts." Then Hermes answered with his eye on the bottom line, You have an inquiring mind, far-shooter. I do not mind your learning this art. Today you shall be its master, for I want to be your friend in both thought and word. You have inner knowledge of all things, for you sit at the front of the deathless gods, both good and strong. Wise Zeus loves you, as well he should, and has given you formidable gifts. They say you know from his own mouth the honors that will come to the gods. You know his oracles, O archer, and you know his laws. From all this, I'm already aware of your great fortune. And clearly, you are free to learn whatever strikes your fancy. Since it seems you've set your heart on playing the lyre, go ahead, play it and sing. Give yourself over to joy. 
Do me the honor, my friend, of taking it as a gift from me. You have a talent for apt and orderly speech. Take my clear-voiced friend in your hands and sing. Carry it freely with you when you're off to a fabulous feast, a charming dance, a famous party. Day and night, it brings joy. It's easy if you play it casually. It hates hard work and drudgery. If a wise man takes it up with skill, its sound will reveal all sorts of pleasure to his mind. If an ignorant man strikes it violently, however, it will chatter flight. It will chatter flighty foolishness in his ear. But you can choose to learn what you want to learn, noble son of Zeus, and so I give this lyre to you. As for me, I will see that the free-roving cattle feed in the high meadows and the grassy plains. The cows will mate easily with the bulls and litter the fields with heifers and bullocks. You always have your eye on the bottom line, Apollo. Well, now you don't need to be so rough and angry. Having said all this, Hermes held out the lyre. Bright Apollo took it and willingly placed his shining whip in Hermes' hand, ordaining him keeper of the herds. The son of Maya gladly accepted the gift, while Leto's fine son, lordly far-working Apollo, cradled the lyre in his left arm and tested each string with the pick. It made a wonderful sound, and as it did, the god sang sweetly. Afterward, these charming sons of Zeus drove the cows back to their sacred meadow and themselves hurried to snowy Olympus, amusing themselves with the lyre as they went. Wise Zeus was glad and confirmed their friendship. Hermes then loved Leto's son with constant affection, even as he does today. The gift of the lyre was a token of this love for the great archer who played it skillfully, resting it on his arm. As for Hermes, he was eager to know another art and made himself the shepherd's pipes, whose music carries great distances. Then Leto's son said to Hermes, Son of Maya, cunning boy and guide, I'm still afraid you might steal both my curving bow and my lyre, for Zeus has given you the honor of initiating deeds of exchange trade among men all over the fruitful world. Please set my heart at ease, swear one of the gods' great oaths, either nodding your head or calling on the powerful waters of the river Styx. Then Maya's son nodded his head and promised he would not steal anything the great archer owned, nor would he ever approach his well-built home. And Apollo, son of Leto, swore he would be Hermes' friend and companion. Of all the immortals, be they gods or human children of Zeus, he vowed to love none better than he loved Hermes. Wow, man, you had to work for that one. Feels like we're uh, basically trying to jam junior high school up through 12th grade into a single first hour here, Jason. But there it is, man. Uh, if you're a rock star, you can almost get away with murder. You can see the echoes of what the entertainment world has become through and through, all the way through this. Uh, it starts out as a big old fight about cows. Lo and behold, the guy plays a liar and all is forgiven. Apollo gives Hermes his offices. Apollo then swore a serious oath. For mortals and immortals alike, I would have this instrument be the sure and heartfelt token of our bond. Moreover, I now bestow on you the marvelous wand with three gold branches. It brings good fortune and wealth, and will protect you from harm as you affect the good words and deeds that I have learned from the mind of Zeus. But, noble child of Zeus, as for the other thing you have asked about, the art of prophecy, neither you nor any of the deathless gods may learn it. Only the mind of Zeus knows the future. I've made a pledge, I've vowed and sworn a great oath, that only I of all the undying gods might know his intricate plans. And so, dear brother, bearer of the golden wand, don't ask me to reveal the things all-seeing Zeus intends. As for me, I will sorely puzzle the unenviable race of men, destroying some and helping others. If a man comes to me guided by the call and flight of ominous birds, he will profit from my words. I won't deceive him. But the man who believes in birds that chatter idly, who invokes my prophetic art against my will, who tries to know more than the deathless gods, his journey will be useless, I swear. Still, I'd be happy to receive his offerings. I'll tell you one more thing, however, son of glorious Maya, son of Zeus who holds the shield, luck bringer, helper of the gods. There are certain sacred sisters, three virgins lifted on swift wings. Their heads have been dusted with white meal. They live beneath a cliff on Parnassus. They teach their own kind of fortune-telling. I practiced it as a boy traipsing after cattle. 
My father doesn't care. The sisters fly back and forth from their home, feeding on waxy honeycombs and making things happen. They like to tell the truth when they have eaten honey and the spirit is on them. But if they've been deprived of that divine sweetness, they buzz about and mumble lies. I give them to you then. Question them well and please your heart. And if mortal men you should instruct, they may have good fortune and follow you. And son of Maya, tend as well the ranging, twisted, homed cattle, the horses, and the hard-working mules. May glorious Hermes be the lord of fire-eyed lions and white-toothed boars and dogs. May he be lord of all the flocks and all the sheep the wide earth feeds. And Hermes alone shall be appointed messenger to the underworld, where Hades gives the ultimate gift and takes none in return. In this way, with the blessing of the son of Kronos, lordly Apollo showed friendship and goodwill toward the son of Maya. Soon it is that Hermes moves among the gods who do not die and human beings who must. And though he serves a few, most of the time when night has fallen, he deceives the race whose time runs out. And so farewell, son of Zeus and Maya. I will think of you often as I go on to other songs. So it is so much work to get any meaning in a lot of this for people who are just starting out. But as an example, uh, he puts him over dogs as one of the things. There's a direct association uh, in the sky clock between uh, supposed Hermes or Mercury and the dog star, Sirius. Uh, many references made there. These are the things being alluded to. And again, every time he says the deathless gods, he's not really talking about gods. In the modern era, you could think of this as deathless nature. That might be a better way to think about it. Anyhow, we've got a couple more points to wrap up here, Jason. So let's talk about the celebrations to Mercury. The first one is the Hermea, which were ancient Greek festivals held annually in honor of Hermes, notably at Phineos at the foot of Mount Silene in Arcadia. No particular dates were given. Then the second one is the Roman Mercuralia, and it's a celebration known as the Festival of Mercury. On May 15th, merchants would sprinkle their heads, their ships, and merchandise, and their business with water taken from the well at Porta Capina. All right, that's going to wrap it up. That was so much for you to have to read through, Jason, but there's a reason for these things. Part of the reasoning here is that most people have never been exposed to any of these ideas, and if you don't understand some of the backstory, you have no prayer of understanding what's going on in the modern age. This last bullet point talks about celebrations to Mercury, which we were going to relate one-to-one, -one, and it has to do with some nonsense things that have gone on in our world. Uh, we better wrap up, Jason. We're at about an hour but we are going to cover so much in hour two that we couldn't possibly cover in hour one. That brings hour one of episode 132 covering Mercury to a close. Catch us all for hour two. It is the meat and potatoes. We're going to throw away the meat, but we're going to eat every potato on the table. There it is, man. Cheers. Cheers.